Blog Talk Radio. The following sermon is by John MacArthur, pastor, author, and Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you've never connected to Grace to You, we want to send you a free book by John called None Other, Discovering the God of the Bible. This detailed look at God's character can strengthen your trust in the Lord and deepen your love for Him. Request your free book by writing to noneother at gty.org. That's noneother at gty.org. The offer is good in North America and Europe through December 2019. And now, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time, here's Grace to You Bible teacher John MacArthur. Open your Bible to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. 
And I will read for you a very familiar and very important portion of Scripture. Matthew 7, 13 down through 27. Matthew seven thirteen to 27. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. The old spiritual said, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. And that essentially is drawn from this passage. Everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. How true that is. In Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 12, we read, There is a kind of generation who is pure in their own eyes, yet not washed from their filthiness. Pure in their own eyes, yet not washed from their filthiness. Romans 10.2 says of the Jewish people, they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Obviously, across the world, millions of people feel religious. Many of them come under the title Christianity, but have absolutely no hope of entering heaven and escaping hell. Even millions who claim to believe in Jesus, believe in His life and death and resurrection. There were people like that that Jesus ran into Himself, according to the last couple of verses in John chapter 2. There were many who believed on Him, but He didn't commit Himself to them because He knew it was in their hearts. It was a superficial kind of belief. It was a self-serving kind of belief. It lacked the character and depth and repentant attitude and full knowledge of Christ to be real saving faith. This fact is clearly stated by our Lord in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And he then says, many will say that. This looks at the future when 
people arrive into the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, we're here, to which he will respond, I never knew you. Verse 23, depart from me into hell, you who practice lawlessness. Scripture is clear that the only way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. He is the one mediator between God and man. He is the one Savior, the world's only Savior. No man comes to the Father, that is to God, except through Him. There is no salvation in any other than Him. Scripture makes that clear. Salvation comes through faith, and faith comes by hearing a message concerning Christ, Romans 10. So here at the end of this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount that started in chapter 5, Three chapters, 5, 6, and 7, the Lord preaches this immensely significant sermon. And he comes down to verse 13. Essentially, this is the end of it. And this is where he asks for a response. This is the invitation at the end of this greatest sermon in the New Testament. It is make up your mind time on the mountain. And the whole sermon is a series of sharp, defined contrasts between false religion and true religion. And there are only two kinds of religion. There's true religion and false religion. True religion comes in one form, and that is the Word of God and the work of Christ and the gospel. False religion comes in endless forms. But there are really only two religions, two paths, two approaches to God. One comes through faith in Christ alone by grace, and one comes by trusting in your own works to any degree, your own merit, your own religiosity, and your own morality. Whatever the title of that kind of religion, it is the religion of human achievement. And the other one is the truth of divine accomplishment. Only two religions. The religion of human achievement says, we do certain things and God lets us into heaven. The religion of divine accomplishment says, we get into heaven only because of what Christ did, not because of what we do. The truth is that what we do would send us all to hell because even our righteousness is filthy rags. And by the deeds of the flesh, no person will be justified before God. In Ephesians 2, salvation is by grace through faith, not works. You cannot mix the religion of human achievement with the religion of divine accomplishment. They don't mix. Paul in Romans says, if you add any works to grace, grace is no more grace. And that redefinition is deadly. You only come by grace through faith, not through any acquired morality, religiosity, sacraments, achievements, human goodness. Now, the Jews of Jesus' day were the illustration of the wrong kind of religion. They were part of the human achievement religion. And when Jesus came, He actually assaulted them. They had not maintained the true religion of the Old Testament, which was to recognize your sin and to recognize the inability for you to do anything about your sin and throw yourself on the mercy of God. They had left the category of divine accomplishment. They had left the category of 
the desperate sinner crying out to God for mercy, and they had developed a form of Judaism by which they earned their way to heaven, at least they thought they did. And in Romans 11:28, a fascinating statement, the Apostle Paul refers to the Jews as the enemies, the enemies of the gospel. There are only two categories of people in the world. There are those who believe the gospel, and there are those who are the enemies of the gospel. Jesus said, there are those who are with me and those who are against me. Those who are with Him are fully committed to the true gospel as revealed in Scripture. Those who are against Him come in endless religious forms. The Jews of Jesus' day were part of the religion of human achievement, and the Lord began His ministry by going into their temple, the most sacred place, and calling it a den of thieves and throwing people out. did the same thing at the end of His ministry three years later. He went into the temple and started throwing out the money changers and the buyers and sellers, and He said, you've turned this, which is supposed to be a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. Your religion is so bad... Jesus said that not one stone is going to be left on another of this great temple that Herod had built. It's all going to come crashing down. Judgment will come, and it came in 70 A.D. when the Romans came, sacked Jerusalem, and leveled that temple, as Jesus said would happen. Jesus basically, in the Sermon on the Mount earlier, attacked the prayers of the Jews. He attacked the alms or the giving of the Jews. He attacked their ceremonies. He attacked their forms of worship, all of which were designed to earn God's favor by some work that they were doing. Romans 10.3 says, as Paul looks at Judaism as a former Pharisee, that they had so twisted the truth that not knowing about God's righteousness, they went about to establish their own righteousness. They thought God was less righteous than He is. They were more righteous than they were, and so God would accept their righteousness. That is the lie of all false religions. And that is what our Lord is addressing in this Sermon on the Mount. That's why in chapter 5, as He begins the sermon, He redefines their complete understanding of how to get into the kingdom of heaven, how to come to God. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That was absolutely the opposite Judaism. The, the Jews thought they were the rich, that they were spiritually mature, that they knew God, represented God, were moral, were fastidious in keeping the law. But Jesus says, you've got to begin, if you want to enter my kingdom, by realizing your spiritual bankruptcy. The word poor is the lowest possible level of poverty where you have to beg. You are spiritually bankrupt. As religious as you are, you are spiritually bankrupt. You want to enter the kingdom, you need to mourn. Not rejoice over your supposed achievements, but mourn. You need to weep and mourn. In the next verse, if you want to inherit the earth, be a part of the kingdom, you must be meek, not proud. And if you want to be satisfied with true righteousness, you have to hunger and thirst for that righteousness, a righteousness you do not possess. This was devastating truth 
striking at the Jews. You are spiritually bankrupt. You are helpless and hopeless. You have nothing to offer by way of commending yourself to God. You have to hunger and thirst for a righteousness that you do not possess and cannot gain on your own. This is a new kind of teaching for the Jews. This is salvation by grace through faith, as we read in Ephesians 2. Now, as we come to the end of the sermon, he started with that section on the Beatitudes, taking them back to a whole different point, spiritually bankrupt, weeping and mourning and broken over their sins, crying out for a righteousness they knew they didn't have and couldn't earn in deep humility. He says, I want to talk to you about the true religion. And so he did that through chapter 5, through chapter 6, and through chapter 7. And as I said, he basically attacked all their religious ceremonies and rites and rituals and sacraments, and even their supposed personal morality, and showed how it was insufficient. He even went so far as to say, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter into heaven. And then he took it a step further and said, be perfect, for our God in heaven is perfect. That is a standard that none of us can attain, and no religion offers any possible pathway to spiritual perfection as defined by God. So he comes to the end of his sermon. And he pulls together these two realities, the religion of human achievement, the religion of divine accomplishment. And as we come to the end, as I began to read in verse 13, I want you to see the contrast. They are vivid. There are two gates, wide and narrow. There are two ways, broad and narrow. There are two destinies, life and destruction. There are two crowds, many and few. There are actually two trees, good and corrupt, and two fruits, good and bad. There are two behaviors, the sayers and the doers. There are two builders, the wise and the foolish. There are two foundations, the rock and the sand. And there are two houses, the one that stood and the one that fell. This literally reduces the spiritual world and the religious world to two options. One is the path to heaven and the other is the path to hell. But it's never marked hell. It's always marked heaven. It's just a lie. Nobody sells tickets to hell. No religion is offering you hell. They're all offering heaven. But only one goes there. So let's look at these contrasts. First of all, two gates. Verse 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. This is the entrance into the kingdom of heaven. This is the entrance to the highway that goes into the presence of God. Again, both roads are religious. Both roads promise heaven. That's what religion always does. It always promises heaven. But only the narrow road goes there. The true way to heaven is spelled out, and it is the narrow way. It is the narrow way, says verse 14, that leads to life. It is the broad way that leads, verse 13 says, to destruction. So let me break this down very simply. Here's our Lord's invitation. And it's in the form of a command. Enter. Verse 13, enter. You must enter. 
At the end of this sermon in which he has basically dismantled false religion and affirmed the truth, he says, you must enter. This is a call to immediate response. It's make up your mind time on the mountain. This is a command without an alternative. Not enough to look and admire the narrow gate, not, not enough to be happy that other people are going in, not enough to listen, not enough even to study the truths regarding the narrow gate and the true gospel. Hell is full of people who admired the Bible, admired Jesus, went to church, were baptized, but they were never in the narrow gate on the narrow way. You must enter this way. And it is narrow because it is only through Christ. No man comes to the Father but by Me. I am the door. There's no salvation in any other than Me. He is the Savior of the world because He's the only Savior in the world. He's the only mediator between God and man. So you must enter through Christ. There is no other way to heaven. No other religion will get you there. It'll say heaven. It'll take you to hell. So you must enter. This is a command. You must enter this gate, Christ alone. Christ alone. No other than Christ. He is the only Savior. As many as believe in Him, John 1.12, to them He gave the authority to become the children of God. Believing in Him with saving faith that confesses Him as Lord is the only way to get to the road to heaven. Faith comes by hearing the truth about Christ and believing it. So you must enter, you must enter this gate, and you must enter this gate alone. And our Lord is saying to these Jews, you're in the wrong place, you've gone through the wrong gate, you're on the wrong road, I know you think it goes to heaven, it doesn't, it goes to hell. You must enter this gate. And thirdly, you must enter this gate alone. You must enter this gate alone. Religion, part of, part of the deception of religion is its collective nature. People who are a part of a religion feel a certain amount of comfort because they're not alone. They feel like there's some history, some traditions, some systems. There are, there are other people like them. The, the crowd is there with them. The religion is crowded with other adherents and other believers. But this gate is a turnstile. You don't come in in a group. You don't, you don't come in because you were born into a family with Christian parents. You don't come in because you're part of a church and you hang around believing people. You come in alone, one at a time. The kingdom advances one soul at a time. You don't inherit this from someone else. You're not carried along by someone else. You come alone. We spend our lives, don't we, rushing with the crowd, running with the crowd. That's how people on the broad road function. They, they go through the broad door with all their friends, all those that are part of their group, and continue that way on the road to hell. In the 10th chapter of Matthew, verse 34, our Lord says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I came not to bring peace but a sword. I came to set a man against his brother and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. 
He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who doesn't take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. It may be that you have to break from everybody and everything in your life. This is the self-denial that our Lord talked about. If any man come after me, let him deny himself. The Jews thought they were all on the road to heaven because they were the children of Abraham, because they had been circumcised, because they had respect for the Old Testament in spite of their apostasy. Paul says all of it is manure in Philippians 3. He was a part of it. All of it is useless. So you must enter. You must enter this gate. You must enter this gate alone one soul at a time. This is individual salvation, repentance, and confessing Jesus as Lord and acknowledging that He died in your place, paid the penalty for your sin, rose again for your life, and in that confident trust in Him, you receive the very righteousness of God, which satisfies God because it's His righteousness imputed to you, something you could never earn. Now, let me add something else. You must enter this gate alone with difficulty, with difficulty. You would think, if you listen to some evangelists, that it's pretty easy to be a Christian. You just pray a few words. Sometimes you hear them say this after me, and people mumble some words out loud as if that's the actual entrance into the kingdom. But you'll notice it says the way is narrow and the gate is narrow and there are few who find it. What an amazing statement at the end of verse 14. There are few who find the narrow gate. Why? Because it's small. It's narrow. And on the other hand, there are so many false religionists all over the place selling tickets to the broad road. And the broad road is so much more accommodating. The broad gate is so much easier. This is very difficult. That's why Luke 13, 24, our Lord says, Strive, literally agonize, to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. That's a stunning reality that there are people who will want to become believers. They want to go through the narrow door and onto the narrow way to heaven. They will try but not be able to enter. It's not easy. That's why in Matthew 11, verse 12, the Lord says, The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Becoming a Christian is, is a, a, a waging a war against yourself. Are you willing to deny father, mother, sister, brother? Are you willing to deny your own personal ambitions? Are you willing to turn from your sin? Are you willing to abandon the sovereignty you exercise over your own life and confess Jesus as Lord? That is the struggle of the heart. When Jesus met the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler's question was, how do I get into the kingdom? And when the Lord just put one little obstacle in front of him and said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, he turned and walked away. There was not going to be any sacrifice on his part. None whatsoever. There has to be a certain violence in the life of a person who is being truly converted, in which you're overwhelmed by your sin, you want to be delivered from your sin, and its consequence, eternal punishment. That's why Luke 16, 16, our Lord says, every man presses into it. It's hard. It's hard because of what Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 says, 
Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. You, you have to basically go against everything you are. Jeremiah 29.13 says, You will seek Me and find Me when you seek for Me with all your heart. So you, you must enter. You must enter this gate. You must enter alone. You must enter with difficulty. It is only entered by the truly penitent, by the wholehearted, by the zealous, by the serious, who are willing to say, Jesus is Lord and I will be His slave. I will give my life to Him for the gift that He offers, which is the forgiveness of all my sins and the promise of eternal life. That is hard for sinners to do. That is difficult for proud hearts. And it is part of human nature to love lust, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. So you must enter. You must enter this gate. You must enter this gate alone with difficulty. And just another thought, you must enter this gate naked, as it were. You can't go through a turnstile with your luggage. It's a gate that requires you to drop everything. And then again, you're back to, uh, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The only thing you can take through the turnstile is your cross, a willingness to suffer for Christ. This is expressed in the two parables in Matthew 13:44 to 46 where a man found a treasure in a field and sold everything to, to get the treasure. Another man found a pearl of great price, sold everything to get the pearl. When Christ is so valuable, you will give up everything. You have stripped yourself bare. In fact, John 12:25 says you can't come to me unless you hate yourself. All self, all sin, all self-righteousness, all of that has to be abandoned. That is hard for the unregenerate heart to do and will not happen unless it is enabled by the wonderful working of the Holy Spirit who breaks the grip of sin on the heart. From the start, Jesus called for repentance, a recognition of your own spiritual emptiness, Sorrow over sin, eagerness to turn from it, be rescued from judgment at any cost, willing to abandon everything and come naked. And there's a sixth element in this. You must enter. You must enter this gate. You must enter this gate alone. You must enter it with difficulty and naked. And you must enter it in submission to the Lord. You come not simply saying, I want the salvation you give, but saying, I submit myself to you as my Lord. If anyone confesses Jesus as Lord, as well as believing in his heart that God raised him from the dead, he will be saved. Listen to the language of our Lord in the 14th chapter of Luke in verse 25. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever doesn't carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he's strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? 
Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his possessions. So he's saying, don't start following me unless you count the cost. Unless you count the cost. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. That's confessing Jesus as Lord. That's true worship. That's true religion. And salvation is marketed today as if it was cheap and easy, and it is not. Again, you enter, you must enter this gate, you must enter this gate alone, with difficulty, naked, and in submission to the Lord whom you confess as Lord and Master. Now contrast with that the wide gate in verse 13. The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. You can come with the whole crowd, you can come with all your baggage, you can come without self-denial. You can come with your own pride, your own sin. You can come with no repentance. You just become religious. A huge crowd of, of the religious people have come in the broad gate and are on the broad road, and it's broad enough for you to live any way you want. You can bounce from side to side. It, it, it doesn't require anything. This, this can be a LGBTQ, same-sex, transgender form of Christianity that we're hearing about these days. It can be anything. And huge crowds of people are on this road thinking it goes to heaven when it goes to hell. So there are two gates. Secondly, there are two ways. Two ways, very different. Broad is the way, verse 13, that leads to destruction. Room for diverse doctrine. Room for tolerance of sin. No curbs, no boundaries. All the desires of your fallen heart are tolerated. The prosperity gospel fits into this. It is a broad road religion. Whatever you want, whatever your desires hunger for, this is acceptable. This is what Psalm 1-6 calls the way of the ungodly. And it says the way of the ungodly will perish. Will perish. And by the way, there are a lot of people selling tickets to the broad way. You meet them in verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Prophets used to wear wool, and so these false teachers come as if they were prophets of God, but they are actually ravenous wolves who want to rip and shred their victims. Take a look at them. You'll know them by their fruits. And then he goes on to give illustrations of that. Again, he repeats it in verse 20, you will know them by their fruits. Look closely at false teachers and take a look at what their life is like. Does their life manifest true Christian virtue, godliness, purity, humility, love? So you have two ways. You have the broad way that many people are on. There are more people on the broad way than the narrow way, and that's part of the illustration here. But on the other hand, narrow is the way constricted, pressed together like the narrow gate because essentially it requires that you observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, as our Lord said in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. It requires the narrowness of obedience to the Lord. It requires godliness, purity, virtue, holy living. You can't live any way you want. When you hear people talk about being Christians and tolerating all kinds of sins and violation of Scripture... That's the broad road kind of Christianity, which is just another form of human achievement. And it leads to hell. And thirdly, there are two destinations, and that's obvious. The broad road, verse 13, leads to destruction. The 
small or narrow gate, and the narrow road leads to life. Destruction, that's hell. The sign says heaven, but the truth is it goes to hell. The entrance to hell is from a road falsely marked heaven. That's what all religion does, all of it. And by the way, destruction doesn't mean annihilation. It means destroyed in the sense of any usefulness. Scripture says there will be everlasting punishment, that there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth forever. It's not just going out of existence, not that kind of destruction. It's the destruction of well-being, not existence, and all eternity left in remorse, suffering, emptiness, punishment. On the other hand, for those on the narrow road, there is life, eternal life, glorious life, full, rich life provided by God through the resurrection of Christ. There are two crowds. Look back on the broad road. There are many, end of verse 13, there are many. On the narrow road, verse 14, there are few. Most of the people in the world are on the broad road. Most of the people who claim some commitment to Christianity are on the broad road. Few find the narrow road. The word is micron. It's a, it's a, it's a micro-sized crowd. Jesus said in Luke 12, 32, Fear not, little flock. And the disciples said in Luke 13, Are only a few being saved? Because that was obviously what was going on during the ministry of our Lord. And our Lord responds in Matthew 22, Many are called, but few are chosen. Isaiah 6 talks about a remnant, a tenth, that will be the faithful. So there are many on the broad road. And the same many show up again in verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's the many. False profession is the worst kind of profanity. It is taking the Lord's name in vain. It's worse than cursing. Hypocrisy, false profession, that's the majority, many. And they will claim a connection to Christ, and they will even claim experiences with Him, but the Lord will deny that He ever knew them at all. Then there are two kinds of behavior. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, later in the verse, but he who does the will of my Father. So you have the sayers and the doers. The doomed are branded as those who say empty words out of empty hearts. No real repentance, no real faith, no real love, no real obedience, no real sacrifice. They're very polite. They say Lord twice. Lord, the first time perhaps politely, the second time perhaps with a measure of orthodoxy, Lord, Lord is also zeal in repeating it. We've done all this in Your name. Three times it says in Your name in just one verse, verse 22. We're Yours. We've been doing everything in Your name. We're Christians. We have 
tried to preach in your name. We've tried to cast out demons in your name. We've, we've tried to do miracles in your name. These are claims only, by the way. Not that they were able to do those things in His name because they didn't belong to Him. But their eternal destiny will be based not on what they said, but on what they did. Whether their claim, Lord, Lord, is supported by a life of repentance, true faith, and loving obedience. Hell will be full of people who were religious, who were in Christianity in some form, but who were empty-hearted and spout empty words. They say, we, we've worshipped you. Don't you recognize us? We're your people. To which he responds in verse 23, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I have no idea who you are. I have never known you, literally. You do always work lawlessness. That's the, the original intent of the structure. And again, this is the spiritual reality that you're known by your fruit. You're known by your works. We saw that in Ephesians 2.10. We're not saved by works. We're saved unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. False profession is valueless. Again, it is a kind of profanity. It is the worst kind of profanity, taking the Lord's name in vain because you're claiming to belong to Him when you don't. That is worse than cursing. The blasphemy of the sanctuary is worse than the blasphemy of the street. This is the kind of Judas kiss. Lord, Lord. From someone whose heart is empty and whose life is bankrupt spiritually and who is marked by disobedience. Now what makes this passage so shocking is the disparity between what people think and what is reality. Many are going to believe that they are about to be ushered into heaven and they will be sent to hell from the portals of heaven, from the doorway in a sense. They have respect for Christ. They have a measure of orthodoxy. They may have had religious experiences and they may have gone through ordinances and sacraments. They may have served in some capacity. But they're nothing but counterfeits. And the Lord says, I don't know you. I have no relationship to you. And the reason that that's obvious is because they say and they do not do. They say and they do not do. That is the difference back in verse 21. Not everyone who says, but the ones who do. Why call me Lord, but do not the things I say? You call me the way and walk me not. You call me the life and live me not. You call me master and obey me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. You call me bread and eat me not. You call me truth and believe me not. You call me Lord and serve me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. Faith without works is dead. So two gates, two ways, two destinations, two crowds, two professions, and finally two foundations. Two foundations. Verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, does them, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
Then in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. You have two foundations, rock and sand. Both build a religious house. Both have some kind of religious structure. Both hear and at least outwardly affirm the truth. In fact, you can't tell the difference. We can't see the foundation, and that's the point of the analogy. It's sort of like Matthew 13 where you have the wheat and the tares growing together, and we are warned not to try to pull the tares out because we, we lack the ability to distinguish them so often. Both build a house. Both build a house in the same place because the same storm hits both. Both build essentially in the same way, and from somebody standing there and looking, they look like equally impressive religious structures. But there's a massive difference. And that is one house is built on the rock of sound doctrine, true repentance, and faith in Jesus Christ, salvation by grace alone. The other is built on the sand of hypocrisy, false religion, human works, and religion. The rock is these sayings of mine. These sayings of mine. These words of mine, verse 24. These words of mine, verse 26. When you hear these words of mine and you build your house on them, you are building on a rock. One built the hard way. In Luke six forty-seven and 48, Jesus said, This man dug deep, deep repentance, deep and thorough understanding of the gospel and of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Today, there are superficial tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people running around, throwing the name of Jesus around. He doesn't know them at all. And they may be claiming even miracle powers. They have no relationship to Him because they are hearers and not doers. And maybe you can't see it now, although you can see their fruit as the false teacher's fruit made manifest their character or lack of it. But we never would sit in final judgment on someone looking at their religious house. The house in the, on the rock and the sand looked essentially the same. It's the same place, same congregation, you might say. How do we know the difference? How do we know who the hypocrites are? Well, you're not going to know really until the storm comes. And when the storm comes, in verse 25, the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it didn't fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And then verse 27, the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Why? because it was built on sand. Judgment will reveal the true condition. Again, we can't separate the wheat from the tares. We, we don't always know the, the hypocrites. We don't know those whose religious structures are built on sand. But the storm will reveal it. Some people are respectful of Jesus. They use His name. They claim to be connected to Him. They have a measure of orthodoxy. They're active in Christian experiences. 
But the judgment is going to bring their hypocrisy and the house built on sand down to a crashing end. That's why the hymn says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. Most people are self-deceived. Anybody in any form of religion under the category of human achievement is deceived. Why would you be in religion at all? Why bother with it? Why bother with all the falderall? Why bother with the morality of it, whatever that morality requires? Why bother? Why restrict your life? Why make an effort to subdue your sin? Why? Why is religion successful? Because it promises heaven and delivers hell. And that will not be known until the flood. And then they'll be brought before the Lord. Lord, Lord, we did this, we did this. I never knew you. Don't have any relationship with you at all. So the bottom line, and what Jesus is saying, is you better examine yourselves whether you're in the faith. As Spurgeon said, whether your religion is true or false, it will be tried. Whether it is chaff or wheat, the great winnower will fan the grain, and the truth will be brought to light. Spurgeon said, if you have dealings with God, you have to do with a consuming fire. Whether you be really or falsely a Christian, if you come near to Christ, He will test you as silver is tested. Judgment must begin at the house of God, and if you dare to come into the house of God, judgment will begin with you. These are the words of our Lord at the end of this great sermon. Don't be on that broad road. Find the narrow way. Cry out to God to give you the strength and disconnect you from your sin and all that holds you back. Come through the door of Jesus Christ to the narrow way which truly leads to heaven. Dear Lord, as we bring this morning to a conclusion and what a wonderful, rich time of worship and fellowship it's been, things have to be considered in a serious way. We're talking about eternity here. We're talking about eternal punishment in hell or eternal joy in heaven. We're talking about eternity outside of your presence or eternity in the very center of your presence. We're talking about suffering on the one hand and absolute joy on the other. We have tried to take the words of our Lord and make the message clear. There is a narrow gate and a narrow way, and it does lead to life, life eternal and life abundant. Maybe hard to find, but we have been given the directions directly to it in Your Word. Come to Christ. Come through Christ, through repentance and faith in Him, acknowledging that you can do nothing to purchase access to the narrow way. 
It is a gift of grace given to those who believe in Christ, in His sacrificial death and resurrection. I pray, Lord, that this morning You will open the hearts of those who have been hypocritical, who are here, but they don't know You and You don't know them. May the horrors of this day frighten them into true repentance. Do what You can only do. Awaken the heart. Give life for Your glory, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible Teacher with Grace to You. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit Grace to You's website at gty.org. And for details about the Masters University where John serves as president, go to masters.edu. John MacArthur and Grace to You reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org, and it includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file. How should we view dinosaurs? This is Ken Ham, inviting your family to visit the Creation Museum near Cincinnati. Last week we looked at fossils according to a biblical worldview, and this week we're going to do the same thing with the most famous ones of all, dinosaurs. Because there are no known living dinosaurs, most of what we know about them comes from their fossilized remains. Now, evolutionists believe they died out 66 million years ago. Creationists believe they lived just a few thousand years ago. So how can two groups of scientists come to such different conclusions? Well, as we show inside our Creation Museum, what you believe about the past determines how you interpret the evidence. Two different starting points means two different interpretations. Plan your visit to the High Tech Creation Museum when you stop by our website at AnswersRadio.com and learn more about science and the Bible at AnswersRadio.com. Yeah, man, it's crazy how time flies. My mind tries to sit still, thinking how does one define wise? Feels like yesterday I was a newcomer, fresh in the game, ready to make the truth thunder. But as the beat plays, they lose wonder. After a few summers, the band's ready for a new drummer. Doesn't matter if you're not ready yet. Yesterday I was a cadet, now they call me a vet. But it's part of common sense that the artist time will end. To the young, this topic can be hard to comprehend. They don't come close to understanding How you can go from most demanded To abandoned in the ocean stranded Surrounded by the waves of your weariness Some things you only learn from age and experience And it's plain to me that all the famous men you see The time is coming when they will be a faded memory Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped Yeah, what in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who it is Whatever happened to so-and-so, that's what they want to know Eventually we learn that they all come and go Today's rising star, tomorrow dies with scars Today they all struck, tomorrow you washed up 
I remember watching Jordan's Hall of Fame speech Thinking this is what it's like to watch the lame reach and gasp As he tries to grasp what lies in the past Never to return, what lies in the past Did he tell himself, was he lost or sober? Did he know it was all but over? The moment that AI crossed him over If I could be like, didn't include dying light Let's shine the light on the one they call Iron Mike Nowadays he's known for being all weird But back in 88, nobody was more feared at the peak of his powers, his opponents would retreat in moments he would eat and devour. Snuff with punches, but we must discuss this. Crushed it just enough to trust his toughness. Pride brings us to justice. You puffed up with smugness? You gonna meet Buster Douglas. Amazing that, which blazed like Petro. The new praise that made the waves in the metro. Was praised for days, but just a phase like retro. And phase like echoes. Echoes, echoes, echoes. Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who it is What I'm speaking on is seriously welcomed by the few Even no experience to tell you that it's true On your radio station, this won't be found on the playlist Wisdom, the sound of the sages, resounding for ages The older I get, I notice it The whole of the script, hmm, it's found in the pages A holy writ, not the cash speech of the reverend But what a man sees under heaven Ecclesiastes 111 No matter who you are, death aims to stop ya Whether banker, doctor, or Frank Sinatra before your time is done, meet the timeless one The dying, death-defying, rising, shining sun King Jesus astounds and amazes He pounded the pavement to save those who were bound to their cages So let us praise the one who made the Everglades Our debt was paid, so in glory we'll never fade Never fade, never fade Simon with one day, and if you want to find out more about him, go to lampmode.com, L-A-M-P, M-O-D-E, dot C-M, lampmode.com. And I'm looking at you if you want to see my website. Got some my testimony on it, how I became a Christian. I'll see smiles and stuff.com, S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-M. Miles and stuff.com. And our website for Truth Be Told Radio is truthbetoldradio.com. Truthbetoldradio.com. And next one I'm going to do for you is I'm going to play this is from the Wretched Radio. Um, it's actually their YouTube page, but um, it's called Muslim Calls Christian Stupid here on Truth Be Told Radio. My Christian friends who are great and unlike you, they believe in realistic things, which is where you're preaching is just stupidity. I believe you're calling me stupid. Basically. Okay. Basically. Did I call you stupid? No, but okay. you're telling me my religious beliefs are wrong. And you're telling me mine are wrong. I'm not saying And look at how we can tolerate one another. I'm not saying Christianity is wrong. I'm sure you are. I'm preaching to people. 
qualifications for a pastor. Well, first of all, a pastor must be a man. Right before God gives the requirements in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, the Spirit says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. The list of qualifications that follows describes a godly man. An overseer must be above reproach, meaning that he must walk in holiness and without blame. The husband of one wife or a one-woman man. He must be sober-minded. Another word for this is temperate or not given over to wild ideas. He must be self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, which is the one skill that a pastor must exhibit. Titus 1.9 says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. He must not be a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, lest he compromise the truth for selfish gain. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, but prove his worth over time. He must be well thought of by outsiders, for how will he effectively share the message of the gospel if he does not love his neighbor? Now these are character qualities we should all aspire to. The pastor is to be an example for the whole church of a mature Christian when we understand the text. Like it says, that's a what? When we understand the text, and it's on YouTube at WWTT. And he also has a, another thing where he talks about um, the what things more, different subjects, and that's uh, WWTT um, extra. And let me make sure that's right. And that is. Pastor Gay, who does that? And let's see. If, let's see. Okay. Extra. Yeah. WWTT. Let's see. I'm not sure what those channels call for that, but. Oh, wait. Go back. Found it. Yeah. It's, oh. Oh, that one's not extra. It's. Um, the other channel he has WWTT, uh, excuse me, WWT text, T-E-X-T. That's the other channel he has. And the main one is WWTT, when we understand text, is the name WWTT, that's when we understand text. And the other one is WWT text, where he talks more about a subject that he goes goes on longer for about 23 minutes on the more subjects to see. Okay, and uh, what I'm going to do next for you is I'm going to play more uh, Wretched Radio. This is called What Happened After the Police Stopped Us for Evangelizing. You know, truth be told already. This is Wretched Radio with Talk Real. That is the number of the old toll free here at Wretched Radio, one eight seven seven two eight two beep Please leave a message, make it pithy, and ixnay on the airing sway. Joey gets crabby. Good morning, Mr. Freel. 
Okay, Joshua, let's just set the record straight. It's Mr. Mr. Friel to you. My question is about my friend's salvation. If he believes that you must be baptized in order to be saved, is he trusting in works righteousness? Would his belief be a violation of the solas, or is there a chance that maybe he is a Christian but confused? That is a very great question. Somebody could be confused about that. They received some bad teaching. They were told you gotta. I, I, I wouldn't debate his salvation. I would be more inclined to work with him to explain grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, and check his theology. Because if somebody insists that you've got to be baptized in order to be saved out of ignorance, that would make them a material heretic. It would be outside of orthodoxy, that is sure. But they're ignorant. They don't know. So you come alongside them and teach them the way better so that they can understand all of Priscilla and Aquila regarding the Holy Spirit, you, you teach them better, and if they go, oh, I was so foolish, I had no idea, and, and they recanted, they put that behind them, and then you just move on, because it was a knowledge issue. If, however, you, for instance, take them through the book of Galatians and say, let's just, re let's exchange the word circumcision for baptism, and let's just see what we can learn about doing a ceremony in order to be saved. And if they say, I don't care what that says, I've got to do what I've got to do in order to be saved, and they persist in that, well, that makes them a formal heretic. And then you should ask them if they consider themselves to be a good person. Idea at wretched. No, we're doing, wait a second. I did a, I did a beef talk thing and read an email. I don't think you say anything because you're the host. Okay. And you were Who can I blame for this one? I have absolutely that must no be idea. Me. It was Joey. Todd, right, Linda, thank you for educating people on adoption, especially the church, the realities of adoption, and the trials that come with it. I pray that God will use your disjointed, confused radio program. Well, these parents are in the forefront of spiritual battles. Indeed, they are. We can't be reminded of this enough, that kids who adopt, parents who adopt kids, they're good, they've got issues. They've got different issues. They've got unusual issues to varying degrees, and that is why the church needs to guarantee you adopt those kids, and we will stand behind you forever. Another email sent to one eight seven seven two eight two 282 beep The adult community is huge and hurting. This is a different email. Their identities were stripped away. Many who were raised in Christian homes have abandoned the faith because of the primal trauma. So many have issues with perfectionism or thinking that if they were bad, they would be abandoned again. There's so many facets to these tragedies. Indeed, I, I sure wish that we had more resources, too, for these kids who were adopted into Christian homes because the doctrine of adoption could be perfect for these kids, absolutely perfect for them. The doctrine of adoption is overlooked by most evangelicals. Bio kids don't remember the beautiful doctrine of adoption, which says you're in the family, period, 
You can't be more in the family. can't be less in the family. Sure, you can be disciplined by the father, but you can't do anything to stay in the family. You're adopted. Imagine your child came to you and said, Hey, Dad, if I sweep the garage, can I stay in the family? Uh, well, you can sweep the garage, but that's not going to keep you in the family. You're in. Period. And the same thing is true with the Christian. When you're in God's family, you're in. It's secure. He's not going to abandon you. not going to run away. He's in, he doesn't go to jail. He's, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. That can be a theology that helps. I, I wish we had more of that addressed toward kids who are adopted and living in Christian homes. If you'd like to send an email, idea at wretched. Dot org. I've been watching the 700 Club for a little over a year, and the host has said some things that are questionable for me. I was wondering if you recommend any other Christian stations for news that I should watch instead of this one. Two, two questions there, if you don't mind me dividing it up just a little bit. Uh, you, you'll hear lots of wonky things there, and, and don't, don't recommend it. It's, it's a shame, really. Their production is, is truly above average for Christian media. An awful lot of money that goes into that daily program, and I suppose there are some good things there. I don't, I don't watch it, but because of Pat Robertson, the things that he's been saying, uh, uh, just about almost anything. Who knows what can come flying out of his mouth? It's, it's just not reliable, and so I would choose virtually anything. But let me just perhaps incur answer the question a little bit differently. Rather than looking for a Christian news source. I think it's wise for all of us to consider, what do I want to be ingesting? What do I need? If you go to CNN, you're going to get a liberal bent on politics. Go to Fox, you're going to get a conservative bent on politics. Ask yourself the question before you tune in, do I need that? You go to Drudge, you're going to find a lot of stuff. Most of it is, tends to be pretty like, whoa, and that's, that's going to be your diet of news. You tune in to us. You're going you're gonna to get a conservative evangelical bent, and we're not a news program per se. So you're going to get very selective because we filter stuff and, and because of our perspective on things. We, we choose this versus that. So before you really go looking for anybody, I, I think that you should ask the question, what would be the best thing for my soul? What do I need to know as a believer, and what do I need to know as a citizen of my country so that I can be a good citizen? That will probably drive your decision more than anything else. I'm, I'm trying to think. You, you've got you know, the Christian Post. You've got the Christian News. You've got One News Now. You've, there's some very good sources. You've got the, the Life News although I think that that's run by, by Roman Catholics. Nevertheless, it's always life stuff. Okay, always go to the life news stuff, and your news world is just going to be on the life issue. Uh, okay, if that's what you're looking for, swell, which is also another reminder when it comes to news, you and I only get what media chooses to give to us. We are not getting the full story of everything that is happening in the world. So before you pick any news site, Ask yourself the question, what am I looking for? What do I need? Hey, I just wanted to follow up with your untethered interview where you had a police conversation. 
and I wanted to see what ever happened with that. I saw the videos on YouTube and dying to hear what happened. It was so outrageous. I couldn't believe that you faced that kind of complication with the police department that didn't know what the constitutional rights were. Well, we turned off the cameras and I tased him. It was simple as that. Now, if we really had wanted a lot of views, we probably should have <coughs> recorded that. <coughs> what, it, what ended up happening with that is sadly, okay, there were two, all right. I'll just come clean on the whole deal. There were two things. We had to leave because we were scheduled to get over to Bob Jones University in Greenville. They graciously let us use their campus for the filming and recording of Dr. Steve Lawson, and we weren't going to be late for Steve. That was one part. The other part is my wife was there, and I didn't feel like going to jail with my wife there. <laughs> no. If she hadn't been, maybe, maybe not. I, I, I don't know. Every, I think everybody who does evangelism or open-air preaching, you should probably think these things through in advance. If I get confronted by a, a, a police officer and my constitutional rights, uh, they are being violated, do I want to make this a deal? And I think that there need, there is liberty in that. Some, some people would say, just leave. Just It's not worth it. You're there to preach. The, go find someplace else. Don't fight that fight. We're in this spiritual battle. Don't don't worry about this rights battle. Other people would say, no, I'm going to work through it If you, with the officer. And I've worked through it with most officers, by the way. I've, I've been stopped multiple times. Um, and, and most of the, if you're just cool, you know, meaning you just act like a well-behaved, polite, respectful, grateful Christian, they usually don't hassle you. What ended up happening is we decided to leave. A lawyer from Tennessee heard about it. He went to Clemson and said, hey, sub. They said, okay, if they come back, we won't hassle them. We just haven't been back. We have heard, however, they continue to hassle people. You should know the battle for free speech, freedom of religion on university campuses, it is raging. They're like, they're like brush fires all over the country as those rights seem to be going whew, on university campuses, there are some Christians that are fighting against that, whether you choose to when you're doing open-air evangelizing, totally up to you. I chose not to. Typically, you can work it through if you aren't combative and argumentative, because that ain't the Christian way. We submit to authorities and are respectful. Until tomorrow, go serve your king. Oh, imagine my surprise that you're still here. Hey, if you'd like more Wretched, because apparently you've got enough free time, would you like this video? Subscribe to this channel, and we will give you Wretched till it's coming out of your nose. Like I said, that's uh, Wretched, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D. Um, that's on YouTube, and also have a website, Wretched.org. Wretched.org and W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D.org. And yes, we must control it. And now I'll play something from Answers and Genesis. T-Rex with humans? This is Ken Ham, and we've produced a very popular vacation Bible school program for the summer. The Bible says that all land creatures were created on day six of creation week. Dinosaurs are defined as land animals who have a specific hip structure. Now this means dinosaurs had to be created on day six alongside humans. 
You might be thinking, wait, T-Rex with Adam and Eve? No way. But the Bible also tells us that everything was created vegetarian. T-Rex and other dinosaurs used their strong jaws and sharp teeth to eat fruit and vegetation. You see, originally they posed no threat to people or animals. But Adam's sin broke creation. Death and suffering were introduced and animals began eating each other. Get answers to your questions about dinosaurs by visiting our website at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com. Dragon Legends. This is Ken Ham, CEO of Answers in Genesis, Ark Encounter, and Creation Museum. Our museum shows that cultures around the world feature legends of dragons. Now, how could cultures that never came into contact with each other all come up with similar stories? Well, let's start with God's Word. As we've seen this week, dinosaurs were created on day six of creation week, so they lived alongside humans. During the flood, almost all dinosaurs died and were fossilized, but two of every kind went on the ark. After the flood, it's likely these reptiles had a difficult time surviving in a completely different world and slowly died out. But their presence lived on in the stories passed down. And eventually, these exaggerated stories became dragon legends. Dinosaurs aren't a mystery. Get answers by visiting our award-winning website at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive daily insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com. Writing this to you, I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you, I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning, cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning, and this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity, ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously, loving one another endlessly Billions and billions of years ago, outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know, but Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, 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 as long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed, what can that mean, but my God is immutable, immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the Because of what you do, but simply because of who you are There's none like you in existence You are God and you need no assistance Even though we show you resistance You said Jesus to close the distance That existed between God and man According to your sovereign plan We changed many times in one lifespan I changed even since this song began Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us All that you do will certainly last You are the rock that we can trust Shows us back in eternity past As long ago as that was As long ago as that was have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, 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 as long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the 
Check us out. And bye for now.